Hello, welcome to the Mythology Marksmanship Podcast. I'm Morgan King, and today I've got Chris Katalik, and I don't, is that how you say that? Exactly how you say it. Good job. All right, because I used to say Katalik all the time, but it's Katalik, I think. It is. It's like metallic, but with a K. Right, right. So, and for those of you guys that don't know who Chris is, uh, it doesn't take very long on the PRS website to uh, figure out who he is. Right now he's sitting fifth in the AG Cup Series. And let's see, what are you in the Open? You're up there too. 15th, I think, right now. You are 15th, yep. So Chris is a good shooter. He's been a good shooter for a long time. And, I mean, yeah, it was a Ben now. You, You started three years ago? Four. Uh, yeah, I think I shot my first match ever in 2018. I think I shot um, two or three matches that year. It was kind of my first year to to kind of test the waters a little bit, uh, realize it was something I really enjoy doing. And so in 2019, I started to get a little bit more serious about it, um, decided to spin up a barrel, something other than a, a 308, and um, and try to – try to start competing and then in 2020 was the first year i started shooting the two-day matches so yeah that's right yep and if you if you go on there i mean you can see he he uh his learning curve was steep it was fast like he uh you went from your first match being the best in texas uh match in 2020 which i believe i was there And well, no, maybe I wasn't. Well, look at this. No, I was not Dan Jerky. That so that was my that was I went to the next one. I hadn't yes. gone to that one, but you went in twenty twenty one. That's right. That's correct. And uh, so you go to that, and then literally that was in February, and by September you weren't just going to matches anymore. You you won your first match, Preenville peak open match in Burnett, Texas. So like this is a, so obviously you didn't start in 2020, but you started going to big matches, which can be a big shift from this. And so like, you know, and then since then you've been a very consistent, uh, top five shooter in the PRS. Um, one of the most consistent. And so anyways, I wanted to have you on because, I really wanted to to get a chance to uh talk to you. Really, I mean, we shot some we shot some matches. Well, we shot one match uh together. We've shot together several times now. But yeah. uh I feel like you you could uh give a well, I appreciate good it. perspective. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think uh it'd be good to talk to you about cuz for I guess you, since you said I can say it, for those of you guys that don't know, there's the uh, world championships. The um, the world championships are going to be coming up this next year, um, which I've talked about on this podcast before because I've done the podcast over in France, and uh, that was awesome. But this year, uh, it's going to be in Colorado, in uh, Cameo, Colorado, which is an awesome range, at which you've shot there. You You thought you won that match yep. this year. <laughs> yeah yeah because i can't count very well 
that's a little bit embarrassing, but, uh, but yes, again, very close one shot away from you and Jake Millard. So, um, yeah, but I enjoy being at that range. I think two years in a row I've finished, uh, what third and I think the year before I got fourth at that match. So I enjoy that range. I think that range has a lot to offer. Um, I think the world championships being there is going to be, um, it's going to be a great experience for not just for us shooters, but all the other shooters coming in from across the world. To oh yeah. Compete there. I think it's a great, I think it's a great place to host a match and the facilities and the local, um, grand junction, I think has a lot to offer. So yeah, I think everybody's going to enjoy it. I, I do. I think, I think it's going to be great. I wish it could have been and stayed in South Africa and I'm not sure all the details of why it ended up getting moved over. I know it had to do something with, uh, political conditions in their country or something from that's yeah. what that was my understanding i don't know that that's right i i just know that that's what i what i thought and so now it's here and i think it'll be good for international shooters to come over here it sucks because you're it's it's like being thrown into the lion's den uh <laughs> so it's probably better to have the u.s boys off of u.s soil but at the same time, it's still shooting targets. Like it's just like it'd be when, I, when we were in France. It's still shooting targets at uh, at somewhere with some distance. Like there's still trees. There's still wind. It's like it's the same thing. It's just where you're standing and what language they speak. So the nice thing is, is I think people get a, a good opportunity to come over here. The big deal is, is to see how these matches are put on, how they flow. And, uh, yeah, so, but the qualification for the U S shooters, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of let you take over, um, here in a second and explain it because you have all the scores done and then we can go ahead and talk about, I'd like to, you know, talk about how, like what your, what are some things that, that really took you from just all of a sudden getting 60, um, second in your first two day match to all of a sudden winning one um, within a year and, and how you've continued to hone your craft. And then we can kind of go from there and see where it gets us. I, I'm not real structured in any of these. So okay. we just throw something together and uh, usually it makes for a good conversation. For sure. For sure. Now I always enjoy your podcast. So, um, so you want to talk about the world championship standings Yeah, go uh, ahead. so far, at least where we are. Okay. Yeah. Cause so, for those of you who don't know, like it, there's some things that you got to do and Chris will explain it all. But, uh, Chris, uh, took it upon himself to kind of compile some scores and really only for certain shooters. Um, so that kind of see where you're at and, and if you can qualify and it really only pertains to the open class. Sure. Yeah. I, my interest started because I wanted to see where I stood in, um, you know, in the qualifications, you know, standings for, you know, for that match. I, I hated that I missed it in this last cycle in 2022. I, I watched, I kept up the scores every morning. I got up and watched to see how you guys were doing and y'all, y'all all did great. Y'all, y'all really dominated that match. And, um, and so I, this next cycle, I've, I've, I've just made it a goal of mine. I wanted to make sure that I made that match. And so I started throwing together scores to see where I stand as far as, or where I, you know, at that time where I stood in, in regards to everyone else. And so um, in the open class, the qualification requirement, it requires you to submit seven scores. So for the open class, you'll need three AG qualifier scores from 2023. And then you need 
your next top three scores uh, from 2022 or 2023. They can be they can be an AG qualifier. They can be a non qualifier. It doesn't matter. The only stipulation um, really across all six of those scores is that you cannot have the same. You cannot pull a score from the same range in the same year or more than one score from the same range in the same year. So you can't, you can't double up, right? You can't, you You can't double up. You couldn't win three AG cup matches and then that's correct. Okay. At this, well, so like this year, by example, (laughs) right? I finished, um, I finished second to Austin Bushman at the Leopold still classic and scored, you know, in, in world championship points, I think I scored, um, you know, approximately 99 points out of that match because of my score and my finished position. The blended score ended up being a 99. Now, if I shot the best in Texas match two months later, and if I would have, if I would have won that match, I wouldn't have. I would have had to pick one of the two scores to count for my application. But I can't pull both. I can't pull two scores from the same range in the same year, not in the same calendar year. Okay. So. That's my understanding of it. Again, this is this is all based on my interpretation of what the United States you know, Precision Rifle Association has uh, on the website right now. So, again, so you have those six scores, and then you have a finale score from either 2022 or 2023, right? So I took it upon myself to – Yeah, you to, just have to have one the, finale score. You got to have one finale score. That's correct. So, so what I did is – three AG Cup, and the AG Cup, from what I understand – all the AG Cup scores on this cycle had to come from this year, this calendar year. But that's right. Your other scores, your other top three scores, could come from both years. So technically, you could get all six scores from this year, or but you also can count scores from last year. That's right. That's exactly right. So what I started with is I looked at the AG Cup standings. Because for the open class, that's really the biggest that's that's the that's the easiest way to look and see and get a get an approximation of who are kind of the top ten shooters in the running for the world championship qualification. Yep. Because if those are based on your top three scores from the AG qualifiers for this year, and that's that's almost half of your entire score for your application. So I, I did that. And so I started I started compiling scores. I started going through the PRS website, started pulling scores down, put them into a spreadsheet, kind of created some formulas, um, and I started doing that. And and as a result, I think I have approximately 10, 10 shooters, 10 or 12 shooters um, mapped as far as scores, as far as the top top 10 or 12 people right now. So yep. that's what I have. So it gives me an idea of where I stand, and then at the same time, it also shows – who has who still has a shot at making it? Uh, what it would take for any shooter, you know, in that group to make it? Um, what I need to do to make it, more importantly, and 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 so on. So that's what I've done so far. Yeah. Well, and I mean, because if you don't get three AG Cup scores, realistically, based on just the scores that you've compiled, you're not going to make it. Um, at least three AG Cup matches this year. So if you're not participating, or at least go, you don't even have to be signed up in the AG Cup. So that might be right. something. Um, I don't know. You, you the just only have guy to shoot I think three of, of those matches that could be on, that could potentially end up on this list, but isn't. But I don't think he is because I'm pretty sure he has not really gone to many AG Cup matches this year. Is Nick Gadarzi? 
Oh, yes. Because is, he's, yes, I'm that, pretty sure correct. he's not an AG Cup member. But I don't think he's, I think he's only been to like one of them. I think it was a Utah match. I got you. So, yeah. Uh, I'd have to, I'd have to look and see. Yes. Cause if he's not, if he's now in all, in all fairness, that's, that's a good point. Right. And I, I don't, I, I don't claim that my, the scores that I've compiled are hundred percent complete and I have sent them to people and encouraged them to go check the numbers to make sure that everything's right. I, you know, I've, I've kind of thrown this together. It's a little bit of manual work. Um, but looking at, looking at Nick's, scores right now he has shot two ag qualifiers so far this year so if he does want to if he does want to be considered and he does have good scores outside of that then he'll need to go shoot a third qual. he'll need to go to mpa at the end of the season in a few weeks so nick if you're listening which you probably aren't you probably you probably wouldn't it wouldn't be a bad idea to maybe sign up for all mpa Right. Looking at his scores right now, and only because I've done this, I've done this so many times now. Uh, Nick has a lot of really good scores. He has. He does. He has, he has a three hundred in regular season scores, and then he does have a three hundred now. Well, I'm saying if I oh, well, if I look at over twenty twenty two to twenty twenty three, yeah, at eighty nine and ninety two AG Cup. Yeah, he has a uh, the lead farm. Uh, I think he. And a 195 finale, which is, what is that? A, he got fourth. Which yeah, is a so, 97 yeah. finale. So right now yeah. he's down, from what I can tell, he's he's down about 23 points. So he's 170. Or that putting me on the 170. So maybe not. Even if he goes and yeah, wins th- th- this, he'd have to win the finale, and then that would put him still on the edge. Correct. He would have to do really well at MPA. He'd have to win um, MPA and he'd have to win a finale. Yes. And then and that, that would, would put him, him on the line almost. It would put him on the line. Yes. You're right. We're so as we get closer to um and that was part of the reason why I'm sorry I for anybody who had to listen to that because that was a lot of math in my head. Uh but essentially what we realized is that that his score based on what we know just based on the ones that you have done it might be real tough to make it. Yes. Yeah, I had a shooter reach out to me the other day when they found out that I've been compiling scores, and he asked me to run his run his scores just so that he would know what it would take for him to actually make it. And I, I hated to be the bearer of bad news, but um, even if he won every match for the rest of the season and the finale, his maximum possible score that he could attain – would end up being like a uh, 680, and unfortunately, even as the scores are right now, there's more than there's more than six, or there's at least six shooters above 680, and so there's really no mathematical way of making it. So unfortunately, it's and that's kind of what we figured out. Left. That's essentially what we figured out right here is that he is he's going to be right. right on that 680 to 682 mark, which I think 682 is the line right now. 682 yes that's the line right now now you still have shooters um you know and there's there's shooters that i included in the list that just need a really good finale or they just need a you know one more good ag score and they and they're gonna jump significantly in those rankings right and so that bottom line is going to change 
the bottom line's not going to be 682. Yeah, it's much not going to go. It's not going to go down though. That's one one thing we know. So no. so the line yeah. probably potentially by the time this is all done could be 690, which I which I honestly think it, it that's pretty achievable. Me and Bushman right now or somewhere I'm I'm like 687 or 697 something and he's 696 something. And then you said it's Gary at 690? 690 is what I have calculated for Jeff. And, and then, then Orgain is at 687. Um, I'm at just right at 686. 685.95. And then Caruso's at 682. Um, again, these are all my calculations. I, you know, I messed up on Ben Gossett's the other day. I Somehow his... His finale score didn't copy over correctly, and it he was he was down a couple of points there. I've got it all fixed now, but yeah. Um, and then right below that line is uh, I've got Chad Heckler at six eighty, and then Jake Millard is at six seventy nine, and it and it continues going on, and it's and it's very tight. So May as well go through. It's it. going to be. Let's hear him. Uh, so yeah, so Jake is at six seventy nine. Ben Goss at six seventy eight. Ken is at six. Ken Sinoski seventy. So, yep, Sanoski is at 677. Um, I've got Andy Slade at 670, and I. But honestly, I, I'm not sure if I've updated his score sheet in a while. Uh, but you know, Andy's one of those shooters that, with a good finale, could could jump significantly. Yep. Right. There's a lot yep. of room. There's a lot of room there. So uh, Clay is next at right just under 670. But Clay is one that, uh, yeah, I think if he if he just pulls a ninety percent out of the finale, he he jumps. What is he six sixty eight range? He's six sixty nine right now. Six sixty nine. That's where he's at. Okay. Yeah. Francis is just behind him at six fifty five, but Francis is another one of those shooters that if he just has a a good finale, he jumps significantly. So, um, and then Kale, I put uh, I needed to add Kale. Kale's had a great year this year. Um, Kale Harmon always been a good shooter. Yep, Kale Harmon, but he doesn't have a finale score from last year. And so when you look at the AG cup standings for this year, he's ranked actually ranked pretty high. And so when I looked at that, I started compiling his scores and really, you know, if he, if Kale shoots MPA and then, and then has a really good finale, he also has a shot at it. Shoot, now, he has had a good year. And I haven't seen him anywhere this year. I haven't shot one match. I don't think with him. Yeah. No, he's had a really good year this year. I, I don't know what he did differently, but this year's been a really good one. Now, Kale is, um, you know, Kale is could go in under military though, so I don't know. I don't nope, know. If that's he not needs how it to. works. Is it not? No, the because there's no real class for it. So there's tactical class, there's open okay. class, there's senior class, and there's women's class and juniors. Okay. Well, no, ma- junior might not be a thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I they had remember. that in the last... Uh, Did they have military in the okay. last one? Yeah, so there's military and, and law enforcement listed as one of the one of the categories, and there will be four spots. Oh, maybe we team. maybe we just didn't fill a team is why I'm thinking that. Yes, last year we didn't fill a team. Uh, yeah, we're going to have a full team this year. <laughs> we'll have a full team this year, especially being in the U.S. But, I mean, my understanding is it's... Uh, military law enforcement is it's open. It's basically open class. You can run your open 
yes your uh, your open rifle and there's no restrictions as far as gear equipment nope um so yes so for yeah our I, I military law enforcement shooters yeah so you know i mean uh you've got you know ben can go in through that route uh kale can go in so, through that route we could we could field a we could we could add a lot of really good shooters to our u.s team uh through that division so ben ben doesn't even hardly have to worry about it ben's in yes so ben and yes. kale they it would be advantageous to not even put them on the open team from a u.s team overall team perspective yes yeah, which yes, that's because, something that I guess maybe Greg, I'd, I'd I'd like to talk to Greg about because what do you do in that standpoint? And maybe that's where they would have to look at it and be like, okay, and maybe and I don't I wouldn't see a problem with with those guys. Well, the only thing is is can it can it, will they let the mill leo guy win the open trophy? You know, what I'm my saying? understanding is yes. My understanding is that the mill law enforcement can. You st- you're still competing for the overall title of world champion. Now, the only thing that I've heard but some people you? say, and, I, and I, haven't, sure. I haven't, I don't know. I don't know. It's all secondhand information. But the other thing I've heard, and again, it's just secondhand information, is that that category, that classification shoots on a different day as the open class. Yeah, that's where I'd, I I would guess that it, they're going for their mill LEO title, not that the... the uh, the open title, which that's something that maybe that we could talk to like um, Marcus about as well. Um, Marcus Olson, if I remember right, right he's the he is the world. Um, what is it? The IPRF International Precision Rifle Federation president at right. the moment, right? And he would and and maybe see because that would be really neat because i mean there that would be cool if if you come there i i mean it's open like if it's like anything else and pistols or whatever you know you're you can be in your class but if you win the overall i mean obviously that's open right but yeah i think you can i think you'd still win it yeah you can win it i think you can win the over uh, can you win the overall from from any category i don't know that's what that's I what I was thinking with Rusty on the last one. I was like, man, Rusty, that would be so cool if you came here one senior plus was on the podium in the open deal. Yes. Yeah, I that's all I was I was hoping for that. That would have been awesome. Which I don't you think should, you was, should have Marcus Marcus on the show. That would be a that'd be a great conversation, especially now that we're you know, the there's been a lot of obviously we're talking about it now, but I've had a lot of people reach out to me recently because, you know, as far from a US qualification standard once we get to the finale, it's 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 all but set. So we're we're getting really close to finding out who our shooters are going oh, to yeah. be. Oh yeah, because uh, very 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 soon, right? We're gonna know exactly where everybody stands and and all of that. And so uh, yeah, maybe you should have that on a, maybe it should be one of your next yeah. shows. Well, Let's here's the deal: that. I anybody that we just anybody that we just named, period, they all should apply. There's no no question, and I and I'll explain oh, yes. why is yes. because they're not everybody. Um, that we just talked about that's in the top six, maybe some one of them doesn't apply. And the applications are going to open very shortly after the finale this year, and they're going to close like sometime in December. So, and I can't remember the specific dates. I talked to Greg about it or Rusty about it. I can't remember which one. Uh, not too terribly long ago. And they're like, make sure you apply because they, they're going to want to have the team rolled out and, and figured out sometime by you know probably the beginning of january 
so that guys can start making arrangements. And this year, it doesn't make a dif- make a big difference, right? Because uh, we're only flying to uh, Colorado, but in those time those uh, times that we're we're actually going international, like when we went to France. You know, we I was I was way more nervous about it than I needed to be and I was super I, I was thinking, man, this this is gonna take months to figure out and it's gonna be a big deal and then it it really wasn't that big a deal. And in the end I think I got ready I got my passport, got my letter from my sheriff or whatever and got it translated into French and all that type of stuff. And then I was good to go. It was not a big deal. I was just more worried about it than than I needed to be. Um, but it definitely takes some preparation and and like figuring out. The only reason I knew, or we had some people on the team that had talked to some people, and that gave us the information that we needed. And we and I, it like obviously now the previous team will be able to help the next team when it comes to coming interna- international or whatever. But a lot of the other countries, they are, they've had their team selected for the international team by middle of the year. So, right. because they're trying to get all prepared and get their stuff in line. And I'm sure other countries, it's harder than others. And that's why I think it has to be an every other year deal. And I think it's great because the 22s can then be in the off year. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a neat setup. I think you're right. Yep. The, um, the U.S. you know Precision Rifle Association website right now shows or it lists that the applications will start. Um, they'll start accepting applications the week after the Paris finale. So yep. by the middle of November, you can submit an application. So to your point, I would imagine that by the time we get to the end of the year, um, that they'll be ready to make a make the selection. Yeah, he he was telling me they're going to close it somewhere in the middle of December. So. Uh, I'm saying anybody that is on that list needs to apply or that wants to needs to apply because like say you might be 10th and on that list or 12th and they go down the list and there's people that just don't want to go or whatever. It was a little different in France because there really was people that were like, ah, I'm not going to go. Ah, I'm not going to go. Um, and then a lot of people didn't, didn't apply. And then I've talked to some that were like, man, I probably should have applied, you know, whatever. Um, I feel like I, I'm pretty sure that at least the top four on the on the um, from the top six last year um, ended up um, going, if not more. I'm not sure, but yeah, I mean it was a we still had a great team. I mean we were the top five. <laughs> I mean, or right. I mean the top yeah. six, the whole thing. So it's not we had a great showing, you know. Oh, yeah, you'll really dominate the competition. You know, to your point, there's something else for other, you know, say, open-class shooters to consider as well, and that is, so, you know, you have the other categories, production, factory, or I say factory, I guess factory is, is somewhat production, but uh, tactical, but the other categories. Um, yeah, and tactical, if and this shooter, is maybe something that U.S. people need to fi- need to realize as well. Pretty sure tactical in the IPRF means 308 only because uh, 223 is illegal in some of the NATO countries. Right, right, because it's a yeah a NATO round. And I don't know but, if where if that's dictated by where the finale is at, or I'm, but I'm pretty sure it's an it's an IPRF rule. It might be. 
it might be. But uh, so one of the other stipulations on on the website states that from a qualification standard, and we'll use the factory, you know, slash production category as an example. If if the you know if the top if well better yet if the second ranked production shooter is not within ninety five percent of the top production shooter score, then they're not automatically in. So to automatically qualify in that division, if I'm saying that correctly, if I'm if I'm interpreting this correctly off of the website, then to if I'm shooting in the production class and if I'm ranked, let's say if I'm not ranked first, if I'm ranked second, third, or fourth, that in order to make sure that I qualify, I have to be within 95% of the top production shooter's uh, qualification score. And if not, um, I think they may fill those spots with additional open shooters. We'll be given the opportunity to shoot that category. I like that. I didn't know that happened. Yeah. That yeah. last year that or that's originally how it was gonna be is basically they were gonna they were just gonna load it. I mean they just took uh, and it ended up being like we needed a team and so like pretty much the first time and that's and maybe that's how a lot of other countries were. But basically if you applied last time and we could figure out a spot that we could put you in you basic and i say we like i had anything i didn't have nothing to do with it but uh but if there was a spot you whether you had to shoot a different gun you know like a 308 like matt partain came shot a 308 did yep. great uh you know that um you know, like I said, if there was a spot like that, that you could come in there and shoot tactical or um, shoot senior, whatever, you're going to get your spot, which is was kind of cool for that first one. Right. And and it might end up being that way this time. Like so, you, so I think if you're interested, it is a good idea to apply to this thing. Agreed. Absolutely. You should. Uh, and that was a mistake that I made this last rotation. Um I realized there wasn't there wasn't a ton of information available about yep. how to apply or or where to apply or what the qualification standards were. I think they were, um, but either way, it's all been or it's all organized now, right? And uh, you know, Greg and those guys are doing a great job of organizing it from a from a U.S. perspective for our U.S. team. It, the qualification standards are very clear. You know exactly what to do, how to apply, where you can qualify, and what you could shoot. And it's very clear based upon the qualification standards and rules that the effort is to put the best, uh, as many of the best U.S. shooters in that match as possible. So yes. that we can go and do dominate it. I, I think that yeah. I think they've done good because I think there is a temptation um, to just say, OK, because there is we can set our own uh, standards as far as qualification goes. The temptation is to be like, okay, we're going to take the top. Basically, you sign up and whatever, wherever you're at, say you don't make the open, we'll, we'll call you. You're the seventh place guy that, or the seventh ranked dude in their thing. So you're just out of the open and you applied. Uh, then they call you up and be like, all right, we got spots in the production and we got spots in the tactical. Which one do you want to shoot production or do you want to shoot tactical? And then you say, right. uh, you know what I mean? And there's that temptation to do that so that then pretty soon that guy's like, all right, I'm production. And then you call the next one down. He's like, I'm production. Well, the next one says, I'm tactical. 
and then you get another tactical, and then you you don't you know what I mean. So you're just got basically by the time you're done, you have I'm pretty sure, and I can't remember if it's if each one of those gets four slots or if it's six slots for every one of them. But those are four, four on the other categories. Okay, so four. So that's that's fourteen open shooters right there. Boom. Well, and, potentially, but remember, but that's not all, how it is now. Oh yeah, no, not now. I'm, well, but there's a temptation re- re- to do that because, and there are there's an argument to be made for it because they're like, well, we want to put give the best possible team. Well, yes, we, I mean there, yes, but I mean that guy's got to go out and get a gun, get it ready, blah blah. blah. And then you're not giving somebody else a chance to uh, qualify in a different way. So you can go qualify, like you say, for in the production category. You can go qualify right. that way. Um, and I don't know how they ended up going through making that selection deal because obviously it didn't pertain to me. So I didn't even listen that much or didn't read much into it. I think I did originally because I remember talking to uh, Rusty and Greg about it a little bit because um, there was that debate, right? There was a debate like, "Hey, should we, should we do this this way?" Type thing is what that's what I heard, and then it ended up. I think it ended up getting worked out in a in a in a good fair way that allows people to have the chance that say, "Hey, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna put down the open rifle this year, and I'm gonna shoot production because I want to try to make the world championships." It gives that guy a chance, right? Um, and we've seen that. Yeah, we've seen that happen. This, we've seen that happen this year, and. And it's great to see it because we have some really good shooters that are absolutely duking it out right now, like in the production class, for one. I just looked, and I think we have we have six people right now at 300s in the production category in the production series yeah. right now. Let's look at this. Yeah, we have six. Well, what, Keith Rudisil just won a national a national match with a production rifle at the, with the federal gold medal match in Carbon Hill. And so – He's been he's been tearing it up lately. I know Derek Webster's been uh, going to a lot of matches and been doing really well as, as Are well. Are you kidding so, me? Der- Derek's been shooting production. Production, he has, he has, and he's been killing it. Laurel shooting production. The- Keith Rudisill. Yep. Man. They've all yep. Both of them, I think, are shooting MPA rifles. And Phil Phil Cashin is also production, and he just got second at a match. That's right. So. What so remember going back to the qualification standards though, and it's something you have to you know something you have to remember is if if we all if we have four shooters or I should say if we have three shooters within ninety five percent of our top production shooter score, then they they take those spots. Then yeah, which spots I, it looks like that's going to happen this year. It's going to happen. All four all of those fairness, spots are going to be filled. They should. They really really should. But I haven't run those scores, and calculating those scores is a little bit different. And so in the other categories besides open, you're only required to shoot or submit one AG qualifier score. Again, just a score from an AG qualifier match. You don't have to be an AG member. Um, you need one of those scores comes from that well, match. And, and it's not your, from what I understand, it's not your production 300 that counts. It's, it's actually what was your score in the match, as it says on practice score. Right. What is your of percentage the overall, of the overall winner? Of the overall winner score. That is correct. So although we're looking at, on the Paris website, we have six shooters at 300 right now, it doesn't mean that they're in, in world qualification scoring standards that they're at a 300. More than likely they're not. 
So yeah, which Matt all wine? Look at take Matt for example. Matt has two hundred seventy-five uh, points in the um, AG Cup, and he has let's see his AG Cup score. His last AG Cup yeah. score was ninety-four. So yeah, he's gonna be fine. Oh, he won one. He won the PRC, Hornady PRC. No, he was fifth. In he was the fifth. Production Sorry. class, he did, but he was fifth. Oh, okay. So it's still not showing his actual true PRS no. score in here, which I can look that up or what that score was. That's right. One fifty-seven divided by one sixty-seven. So it's still a good score. Still a good score. Still a good score, and remember, it's a blend. It's a blended score between his uh, hit percentage and his placement percentage. So that fifth place actually will score very well for him as an AG as an AG score. Yeah, yeah. So that would be a good one. That would be a good one for him to submit. Um, yeah, what's that? That's some, five yeah, fifth out of one eighty nine. So that, I mean, yeah, he's gonna. That's gonna be. So that's ninety four percent. Plus, he's also gonna be somewhere around ninety six. It'll probably be a ninety five. Somewhere, right. somewhere yeah, in got, there. That's right. That is correct. That's a. So he has he has a lot of good scores. He can submit um, the one seventy five from California this last weekend. Probably puts him in the. Uh, He's probably in the 93. Yeah, because I mean, he's got three top score. tens right off the bat. Well, and you can count last year, so he's got a third, which that's a yep. good third. That third place scores, I think, is only one, and it's an AG Cup, too. I'm pretty sure he like, lost that, that one by like one or two points. Oh, oh no, no. Coney no, last no, year? No, on, I'm sorry. On. Yeah, you beat he, everybody by like 10 or 15 points last mind. year, so you kind of wrecked everybody's score. Thanks. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> It, I, I, no, I, I only beat Jake by ten, but then I beat him by twelve. So, yeah, yeah, I was right behind Matt. Which, which is still going to be a similar score to the score we just talked about because that was a one. He's a one fifty-seven as well there, and I, one. I was a one sixty-nine and won it, and that's out of one hundred and forty-four guys, and he's third. That's going to be another ninety-five um, point score. That's right. That's right. So the third place actually helps to bring up the uh, the lower hit percentage score. Yeah, which I've I've argued for that scoring to be implemented in the PRS for a while because I think that does a really good job of doing exactly what you just said. See, he was third. I beat him by twelve points, but that that helps buffer that that pain, and then it also makes those uh, meatball matches when you get tenth, twelfth place, yeah. and that and that guy has. You know, you've got like five guys tied for, you know, third to seventh or third to eighth or something, and you have it, and then you have a couple scores, and basically the top, the top ten or the top fifteen is separated by five to six points, and then, it, uh, and then so everybody, you know, you hear these matches where thirty guys out of a hundred and twenty get scores over ninety. And you're like, well, that just doesn't sound right. right. And I'm not saying that it is or it isn't essentially, but it, what it will do is it'll it'll make that it'll 
it'll it, it will it will hurt that match. Like right, you're not going to get that many guys over 90 because you know your 15th. It's gonna it's gonna drop your average a little bit, and then I don't know. I just think it, I think it's gonna make it better. It would make it better and make it to where you don't get punished near as bad sometimes when you shoot good out here in the West. Right. But it's also going to separate things just a little bit when you're when you show up and you know when the wind doesn't show up and the match director planned on some wind you know or something made the targets a little bit right a little bit bigger for that and uh, then all of a sudden it turns into a, a meatball fest and everybody's hitting everything um, sure that's when you know it it, it could be good it becomes more representative of of the actual outcome of the match. Yeah. If you blend the scores like that to your point, right? If you finish 12th at 98%, well, you still finish 12th. There are 11 people, you know, beat you, um, at the end of the, you know, after the season with the way that the scores are set up now. Yeah. You don't, you don't see that. You don't see that in the scores. And so, um, you're right. It also is, it also prevents one shooter for, you know, from showing up and kind of wrecking everybody's percentages, although everybody else shot very well. Um, Maybe somebody got lucky on a couple of stages and, you know, shot a long range stage in the morning. Yep. Help. You know, when there was, when there was no wind and everybody else shot it later in the day. And, and just for that reason alone, that, that shooter 10 shot. Yep. But yes, you know, yeah. Yeah. To your point. So it'd be good. Yeah. I, it would be good to do I that. I mean, so. it is what it is. It's a kind of a, uh, it, it doesn't really matter, but yeah. Um, but anyway, so I guess, I guess, uh, I'm 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 pretty pumped about the World Championships. I think I know a lot of guys that are. I'm super excited um, to get to see um, a lot of the guys that I I saw from the last World Championships. And I I think uh, well, it's just it's a little bit bigger. It was way bigger than I realized because it was a bigger deal because you know uh, it helps to open some doors for these other countries and like we, we take. Well, we take it for granted here the fact that we can just go out and shoot a match all the time you know we can most of the time we got local matches um i know i'm sure in texas it's probably similar but like in utah i could go to a local match almost every week of the year uh in washington i can probably go to one almost every other week um sometimes more um in this region and then i if i if if we want if you get on a plane in this country, um, you can fly within uh, probably I would say within a, a four-hour plane ride. You can shoot if you can do that. You can shoot a match every weekend, yes. a two-day match, almost almost every weekend. Um, so if you can make it work with your schedule, you can go to one. Um, and most of us can can drive to yeah. You know, well, up here in the Northwest, it's not as easy. But I know you being in Texas. You can drive within eight hours to what ten matches, maybe twelve. Oh, a lot. Two day matches. Uh, I'm a saying. lot. Yeah. Two day matches. Yes. There's this past year there were what two in Texas, uh, but four in Oklahoma. Yeah. We have the the match in Little Rock is only six hours. Um, Greg's match in in Mississippi at Gunline is only six hours get to a lot of math uh, kansas is uh, just under 
two hours, there's two more matches there. So yes, so I can get to a lot of matches in less than ten hour drive. We're we're really spoiled in, in this country, and yeah. we were able to shoot quite a bit. And then and this, I feel like, I know it legitimized the sport for a lot of countries in the e, in the European Union and some maybe some of the other countries. I don't know, but I I'm pretty sure in the U- European Union. Uh, the world championships last time legitimized it and made it to where, you know, it's it's like an actual thing, and they can then take that back to their countries and be like, hey, this is actually an established sport, and uh, we want to be able to do this and build some guns to to help play this game. So, I think it's a I think I think it's a big deal, and I think it's a way that we can, as a, as a sport, come together and and be able to kind of unify and. And, uh, it, it's, it just, it's cool to see the growth, um, and not just in our country. So it's pretty, I, it, I don't know. I get excited about it. It is, it is. And it's exciting to see how the other countries are, although a little bit behind the U S with how long they've been in the sport. Um, it's exciting to see how fast they're catching up. Yeah. I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't say that they're behind in, in the amount of time because some of these, I mean, we've been doing this forever, right? Not forever, right. but but I mean, this is the eleventh, I think, year uh, the PRS has been around, and then something like it, or at least the, the uh, I mean, so there'd been matches like this around before that. It just wasn't really legitimized, but like sniper style, what they call sniper matches, which is not sniper, but the way that it was it built from. Um, stories I've heard was a bunch of guys getting together that would shoot these field style matches and then they wanted to kind of make a sport um, out of those field style matches and they were like hunters and military ex-military guys and stuff and they they came up with the PRS but before that there were certain matches you could go to that were just like the outlaw matches basically just matches where uh, you know you like they had like the sniper's hide cup. I it's been around for almost thirty years, I think. I don't know how long it's been around, but it's been a long, around a long time. A long time. You're right. So yeah, certainly not not something new. I just meant that the other. I just meant that other countries are uh, catching up to the you know called the precision oh, yeah. rifle series style of shooting, if you will, style of competition. And and don't get me wrong, a lot of the other countries are they have shooters that are that are no stranger to shooting competitions. Um, you know, the shooting sports are obviously something that's been going on for a long time in a lot of the other countries. And and when they continue, when this sport continues to catch on in those other countries, uh, those other countries are going to be they're going to they're going to be tough. They're going to be tough. There's, there's a lot of information out. You know, your podcast, you you are you're very open with the information that you share about um, what works for you, what, you know, stuff like that, just like we're talking about now. Um uh, and other shooters are learning, they're learning what, what works and how to get better and what works for the top shooters. And they're, the shooters in those other countries are going to be, uh, they're going to be tough. Oh, yeah. So like, I do think, I do think you ain't just going to walk away with it this year. I feel like that all these guys no. are getting better. Uh, the matches are getting tougher because I, I think the France was a great opportunity for, and I think then I think that's what this will do within, in Colorado too is, It'll it'll allow people. I think I think it's very important that that match is a is a really really good course of fire. It doesn't have to be the toughest match in the world, but it needs to be 
the one of the most fair matches in in the country. And I, but I don't think that we that it should be like uh, made easy. Like you know, like it shouldn't be dumbed down because we're expecting um, people to come sure. over here that maybe have not shot as many matches. I think it still should be a like a it should be on par with the matches that we shoot all year long because they need to come. I think people need to come over here and be like, "Whoa, that's that's what that's what that's what these guys are doing." Like that's that's right. like or you know or like guys from South Africa. I've I, I've heard. That their matches are, uh, uh, John Pinch went over there for an NRL Hunter match, and he's like, dude, that was a legit match. It was a great, great course of fire. It was tough. It was hard to find targets. You know, everything was, everything was what it like when he's like, that was one of the better courses of fire I'd shot. So like these other countries know, and I mean, obviously that's this is apples to oranges when we're talking about NRL Hunter, but it it just shows that like, hey, these it's not like. These guys are just putting out car doors and going and shooting them. No, these guys, like especially the South Africans, I mean, it's been cool because there's been quite a few South Africans come over and shoot um, in the various like uh, NRL finales and and stuff like that and getting to meet some of these guys and like they're shooters. Like they these guys aren't slouches. So, and I know there's guys in – great britain that are good shooters uh guys scattered across scandinavia that are great shooters and like these boys are coming and and i but i think that the biggest place where i think it would be cool for for international shooters to see is like hey this is we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna give them a great match to have a lot of fun in a cool place and one of the best locations america has to offer as far as where it comes to a great course of fire. It might not be. I mean, it's pretty, but it's not the prettiest place in the country. To be fair, it's dry. Like, I mean, but it is cool red rock country. So, I mean, it is pretty. It's a unique location, but it's going to be dusty, dry, and hot. Um, and then, it, you know, it's, so there's that. And, you know, it's not sure. the, it's not this like big old city with uh, amazing amenities it's going to be you know it's it's a great it's a good little town or whatever but you know you're you are definitely are in the middle of the nowhere in the in the high desert in in colorado which is great um i i mean i think the location is great but 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 when it comes to a place where you can put on really i mean it's up to the match director but if if the match directors are on their game they can put on a match as good a match as can be put on, period. There's wind, there's distance, right. there's terrain, uh, everything you can um, think of, you can um, put into this match, I think. For sure. If you're looking for a true field-style match, I think Cameo is a, it's, it's a fantastic location to, to really test a shooter in that in that type of an environment and, you know and we've got we've got beamer ken wheeler as as co-match directors of this match and i've shot multiple matches both of those guys have run individually and i have i have all the confidence in the world that if if you're not going to find two guys that that uh, well and- do a better job of doing a balanced like a balanced course of fire um across the entire match in which there's not going to be just one separator shit. It's going to be a very well balanced, very well thought out. It's going to be proofed. Um, I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I, if I'm fortunate enough to make it, then I look forward to shooting their course of fire 
in that location. I, well, that and I'm be, like that 90% sure that those boy, the, those guys are the types of guys that, that are also probably, I mean, they have a network, right? Ken's the freaking PRS. Yep. Um, he's He owns the PRS or... And uh, then you got Beamer. Like, these guys got a network of guys that they can pull from. And be like, hey, do you think this is a good idea? This is a bad idea? And, like, you right. got to imagine that that's what they're doing. I mean, this is a and, – and since it is such a big match, I, I mean, I would think that they're probably um, – they're probably going through and already got the wheels turning on, like, hey, what should we do here and what should we do there? And, uh, yes. I mean, they're just going to – I, I really I think I, I agree with you. I think they're going to knock it out of the park, and it's going to be one of the best uh, courses of fire a guy can shoot. Honestly, yeah, yeah. The, the venue is really the, the venue is really neat. I know that there's you know there's a few limitations to to a venue like that with with what you can do, but there's a lot that that what limitations uh, that you I'm can curious. get away because well, you can square up anything. You could square up anything, but. You know, moving around on that property. I know. Again, we're not talking about shooting a two-day PRS match with you know twenty stages running simultaneously. And but I imagine, running. I imagine if it was me and I was putting it on, I put twenty stages simultaneous. Um. Well, but you can't, right? You can. Not to be fair. Not to be fair, because you want everybody shooting the same stages every day. That's, yeah, but if you have ten going, uh, and ten going, that would be the best way to do it. If it was me and I was match directing, I would. With as much ground as you have there, I would have mm-hmm. ten ten stages going over here and ten stages over here. One day you shoot all ten of these, then the next day you shoot all ten of those other ones, and you just switch who's up. And you switch, yeah. So long as the categories were different, if you had the open class well, you all would, shooting you the would, same ten oh, stages in the same day, and and then vice versa, that's that's what I was referring to. So I w- I would think I you just, would want hunt like like you would want open tactical or open military and like women. So pretty much all open guns over here. And then yep. your other ones over there. Trouble yes. is, is there's I some, agree. there's some, there's some production guys that'll just slay it. With, yes, there are there. Are, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So, but it's, yeah. uh, it's going to be a fun event. I look forward to, like I said, if I'm lucky enough to make it, and I hope that I do uh, working really hard to do that. Then I look forward to shooting that course of fire. I think that alone will be a real treat, just to uh, to go shoot there that time of year um, with a course of fire that that Beamer and Wheeler put together, um, and then everything else that they're going to have. I I think I thought I heard somebody say that they're expecting like 300 shooters. Yeah, um, I bet on, on, for that match, and that's and that's great. I know we just saw, you know, Ken, Mike, and Greg just went and scouted out the property last weekend. They posted on Facebook. Um, so they're already putting in the work uh, to develop a good match, and uh, I mean we're literally a year out from that match, and they're already they're already putting the work in. So yeah, it's very exciting. It'll be a great time. Dude, that's I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be it's a big deal. I I think it's I, I think it's cool. I think it's I think and I think it's only be, gonna become a bigger deal, right? Because people sure. are gonna be like. Uh, well, I think, I think now, I think obviously there's more people that there, or there's people that are kicking themselves and then, and there's more people now that they didn't go last time. And so now there's going to be people want to go this time. And I think so many people paid attention to it last time. It was crazy. I didn't, I mean, I didn't know so many people were watching the scores and stuff live. Um, 
But anyways, I guess I want to switch gears so we can talk about it because right. I, I really feel like, uh, uh, you know, we've we've uh, like I don't know I I've talked about my selfish subject subject now, so uh, let's uh, talk about something. So I, there's something I wrote down, and I was like looking through like a I, I carry a little notebook um, with me every day, and it's mainly for uh, stuff um, for school and. Uh, that I just write stuff down, and I guess I had a page in here where I must have been sitting there just thinking about crap um, for shooting stuff. Uh, <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but anyways, uh, it I have it written down here because I feel like... Where is it? I wrote it down somewhere in here. But anyways, I keep a, I do try to, and it's generally not in this little notebook. Generally, it's a, uh, in my computer. I keep a note where I write stuff down, like after matches or like when I'm thinking about stuff to try to get better. Um, but anyways, looking at your scores, obviously there was something where you, you went, I, I, I guess I kind of want to know what changed in that first, because obviously you you shot your first match in February, and then seven months later in September you won your first match, and this is in 2020. Uh, like, I mean, obviously you've been yeah, that's not that's you'd been shooting for two years at that point, but and how many local matches had you won up to that point? Say, say, I mean, had you won any? You you know, um, I I had won a local match. Um, I think, to be honest with you, according to the Pierce website, I think I won my first local match the very next month in October of 2020. So, um, so to, to answer your question, how did I, how, how did I get and achieve such a steep learning curve? Um, and, th- and that's a great question. It's hard to, you know, I've had people ask me before if, if I could do it all over again, what would I do differently in my journey to, you know, to get into the sport and, and learn and, and, and to get better. And it's, um, and that's kind of a tough one to answer, right? Did I get to where I am right now because of, because of how I got into the sport, you know, shooting a factory 308 with a MOA scope and, and maybe not the best equipment. Is that the reason why when, when I did get hold of a, you know, a dasher and, in good equipment. Is that why I excelled and, and jumped so much? I don't know. Maybe, um, I think my, I think my approach to the game and I, and I consider it a game. I think my approach is, is, is not necessarily unique, but I think it has a lot to do with, with how I got to where I am so, so quickly. And, and I'll give you an example, right? If we go back and we actually look at my first two day match, the best in Texas match in, uh, in February of 2020, where I got 62nd. Now, I signed up for the AG Cup series, and I and I had not shot a two day match yet. Um, I had not won a one day match at that point. Um, I was running a dasher with a uh, with an MOA scope, um, and I was running a ballistics app on my phone. And uh, yeah, yes, there's I, nothing I, wrong with the ballistics app on your phone for anybody listening. There's nothing. No, there's not. There's not at all, unless the app's broken. Um, was your but I went broken? to that match. It was. I didn't know it. It was broken. What? What um, happened? 
oh, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It just what it, it did. It wasn't updating on my. It, what it was is it the software, the application wasn't updating on my phone, and I didn't discover it until after that match. Now I had I had dope issues at that match. I was sailing bullets over targets. I was probably two tenths high, and I just didn't know it. And I wasn't a good enough shooter at that time to catch that I was that high and, and adjust it and, and just compensate and move on. And so it wasn't until after the match that I, I sat down and I was, I was actually, I was switching from the burger 105 to the 109 that I noticed that when I plugged in the information for a 109, um, that I could true the dope by adjusting the BC and the velocity and such. And it was when I was trying to modify the profile of the 105 that I noticed that changing the BC of the bullet had no effect on the ballistics. It had no change in my, in my, in my dope. So that's when I realized, ironically, it's also when I switched to the 109 because it's when it, it's the only app, it's the only profile that worked on the application. But there was there was clearly an issue. So when I came away from that match, I bought a Kestrel with the Applied Ballistics app on it, and all of a sudden I, I had no more dope issues whatsoever, and that was fixed. And so after that, I went to K and M. First time to travel out of state. It was a different style match, a little faster pace than what I was used to. And Texas run a lot of minute 45 or two minute stages, I think, around that time. And, you know, go to K&M, I think, I think we probably ran 90 or 99 second stages. Um, but, but I did, you know, did better. Um, now I'm running a Kestrel and I did, I had zero dope issues the whole weekend and things were, things were a lot more consistent. Um, I did learn though, in a, in a no wind environment, it helped me to learn that I was having, uh, I was, I was struggling with can't, I had no level on my gun and, you know, up until that point, I shot in a lot of high wind, and I just always assumed if I dropped the bullet off one side or the other, I was, you know, it must have been wind, and I kind of ignored it and, and moved on. And it was uh, it was at that match that I realized the value of having a good level on your gun. So, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that um, through experience of those matches and learning some of those lessons, that I just I continued to focus on what I did wrong and you know go home and fix it. And that's kind of always been my approach. Um, I still do it to this day. Um, I did it after last weekend, after coming home from the California sharpshooter showdown. Um, I, I came up with stuff that I need to work on. And so I, I do that after every match and that's my approach. Um, I don't chase gear. I know I'm talking about chasing a little bit of gear here in the very beginning, but I think we're talking about some very basic stuff. Well, yeah, lining your gear out is not a, not a problem. It's just a matter of once you get to a good benchmark of gear, then there's no need there's no chase need it. to go chase it. No, it's it's the Indian. It's not the arrow, right? The reason I miss a target's not not because of the gun. It's because of me, right? And yeah. and I think that. Uh, so to answer your question, okay. So so taking it from that point, right? Then I go and shoot the barrel maker um, up in Wisconsin. Had a great time there. And then and then I shot the um, you know the MPA summer shootout right over an arena. And it's the first time I'd ever met you. And uh, I think we were in, in neighboring squads. And so um, that was the first time I'd ever gotten to the top 10. I, I, heck, actually, I think I was third place after day one behind you and Brandon Hembry. And, and, and I would say there was some change. There was a confidence factor that came into play at that point. You know, I, I was shooting well. I knew, I knew what I needed to do. I'd been kind of working all season at that point to improve some of the things that I needed to improve upon you know, going home after every match and, and figuring out what I did poorly at and then working on that. Um, but then I finished, uh, I think I finished 10th place, ninth or 10th in that match. And, and that was a confidence boost. So, so then, yeah. So in the, the very next, um, 
the very next month, I went to Reveille Peak uh, out in the Texas Hill Country. And, and I mean, it, don't get me wrong. I was lucky. I had Clay Blackadder in my squad helping feed us wind calls all weekend. So um, it's kind of hard to go wrong when you've got that guy helping to uh, help everybody. But, you know, I ended up I ended up uh, pulling off the win in that match. And it was uh, that was pretty confidence inspiring, too. So at that point, I was still shooting. I think I was, I was still shooting a Dasher, uh, still shooting an MOA scope. And uh, I just didn't see a need to change if it wasn't broken. And that was that's kind of always been my approach ever since. So, except for now, you shoot. Yeah. Do you shoot mills like 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 a normal? Yeah, like a normal person. I do. I, I'm trying to remember when I switched. Uh, oh, you know what? It was actually right after that match. As a matter of fact, um, I've always been pretty slow to change gear, and so I bought a tangent because I like the reticle um, and I like the glass. I like I like the turrets. I like the tool is re zero. There were a lot of aspects about that particular scope that I liked. And I'd been running Night Force up to that point. Uh, from a glass perspective, um, it's really hard to tell the difference between the two. And it really wasn't until I put them side by side that I could tell the difference. And it's very, very minor. Um, but I liked the reticle and, and everything else. And at that point, I went ahead and just switched switched to Mills. And so when I shot the 2020 finale uh, there at Watts' place in Oklahoma, I ran yeah, it was a new scope, new scope, new reticle, and um, it still worked out. Yeah, I think it ended up in a two or three way tie for fourth place with yep. a couple of good guys. So it was a, uh, but it was good. Yeah, it was a good, and I switched at that point though, and from that point on, I think I've, um, I've not changed a lot. My gun has gotten a little bit heavier. I did switch to foundation scope uh, stocks after that, and I've bumped up the weight of the in the profile of my barrel slightly. Who were you but running still before that? I think I was on a 12-pound dasher when I won my first match. But you were on a 12-pound a dasher, which I've had in one of those before, too. Um, yep. And, but, like a Sendero, Sendero contour barrel. Yep. I was like medium palm, which is almost identical to the Sendero. Yeah. And then yep. uh, what what uh, stock did you have on it before that? So when I won that match in September of 2020, I was running a McMillan E5. With that, uh, yeah, with that Sendero contoured Bart line, and then the uh, the Night Force 735 MOA, with the more reticle, so it didn't have su- it doesn't have subtensions as basically one MOA. Yep. Nope. I've I've ran very similar setups before, except for I switched yep. for to a uh, M- uh, mill very early. I only yep. had uh, a couple scopes that were MOA just because. I mean that's like. Before I think I I think I was shooting Mills before I shot my first PRS match, like real yeah. like like two day match. But still, uh, yeah, I mean it's not like MOA is uh, gonna hold you back no. at all. It doesn't. Um, yeah. I, okay. So from what I from what I hear in there, big thing is is don't chase. You didn't chase gear. You just yep. really took the time to sit down and be like, hey, this is what I need to get better at, and then you went. And you practiced on specific things to get better. Sounds really simple, but yet it's not always like it's easy. It's easier to say that than it is to do it. Um, I've that's right. Uh, that's right. Very simple. It's crazy that uh, that that just the application of very simple things can get you so far so fast. Well, and it's uh, yeah. No, you're exactly right, and and it does sound simple, and. And, and yet every time I go, I'm fortunate in that I live about an hour from 
you know, CCC and Navasota, where we run yeah. national level matches and they run club matches every, you know, once a month. Um, and I'm lucky because I can go train there and there's, there's a lot of good props. Um, we get good wind every once in a while, um, you know, blowing over 20, 25 miles an hour. And so it's, it, that's an asset. There's no doubt about it. But to your point, I, I go out and see and watch other people shoot and train and, um, and maybe they know what they need to be working on. Um, but yet I don't, I don't know that, that necessarily their approach to, you know, to work on some of the things is, 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 as as effective as mine, if you will. Right. So that's the challenge. And I think that's the, that's the real challenge for people is to, is to know how to train to get better at certain things. And, and I'll give you an example. I, you know, if I'll come like, this past weekend in California, I shot that match and, and coming away from the match, I felt like one of my weaknesses was that I was not really comfortable running a tripod as a tripod rear support. I'm not particularly fast at it. Um, and and while I was looking at every stage this past weekend, I was looking for I was looking for ways to not use a tripod because I know that I'm almost better better with just one bag. Now, that's not a good thing because this was there were a lot of props that were very wobbly that almost demanded that you use a tripod and so that's something that i just need to work on so when i come home i will figure out a way to not just go shoot with a tripod out of repetition assuming that the repetition is going to make me better but i will find a way to um kind of measure my progress and to see if what i'm doing is actually making a difference and if it's not i need to change the routine if that makes sense yeah, um, that's why try I to do practice the way I do. Yeah. As far as like everything, I go back to the same benchmark. As far as I do one shot drills with it, until I can do it within a certain amount of time, and then I hit and I'm hitting, uh, very so I'm getting stable. I won't take an I won't take a shot that's not stable, and I need to be hitting a one MOA target, um, very consistently. Right. Or or, right. or I continue to get better or try to figure out how to do it because I, I want to know like how fast can I get a shot off and what can I do. That's why I do it that way. So it's consistent no matter the position, um, whatever I'm trying to work on. And if I can get everything within that, I like to be I, – I like to know, okay, like 10 seconds is my cutoff of like, okay, that's not effective. If I can't get a really good shot off – like, and I'm talking with, you know, a two second trigger squeeze, you know, like if I'm going all out and, and right. I, and I basically just hammer the trigger to see where, see how fast I can get into position and be stable. Uh, then, you know, that needs to be, you know, in that six, seven second range, um, and faster in, in other positions or faster, I should say six, seven seconds or faster, basically seven seconds or faster. And then if I'm going match speed, it needs to be uh, nine to 10 seconds, um, per right. that, that, that's just the first shot building the position, make, taking a shot, obviously follow-up shots are faster, but that's why I do do it the way I do. So that then doesn't matter what it is. If it's a tripod, okay, today I'm working on a tripod at this height or something like that. Now I can get better, which I'm sure right. you probably do something similar, but that's how I do it. So I have like a, okay, I can compare that to, you know, another position or something yes yes and then and then like you said that I, I, and the key word there was benchmark and i think that's a really good way of describing it um 
I see, I see shooters a lot when I go to the range and I see them practicing and I see them kind of going from, you know, from prop to prop to prop and, and kind of going through the motions, but, but I don't see any purpose in what they're doing. And, and to your point, I, I do the same thing. I want to, I want to, I want to isolate a very specific skill that I need to get better at. And I need, I want to work on that. I may spend, I may spend a ton of time in a day. I may work on that the whole day if that's what it ends up taking or, or maybe I'll work on two things, you know, something in the morning and then something again in the afternoon. Um, but, but I do work, I will work really hard to, to set a benchmark and find out what, what I'm capable of. And then, you know, then try to find drills that help make that better, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, and it might be shooting one MOA target. It might be shooting paper at a hundred yards, depending on what I'm testing. Um, it could be a variety of things, right? Yeah. So I take all the different things, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I still have notes. I probably have notes on every match I've shot. Um, as I've gotten better, it certainly is a lot easier because I'm not having to account for as many missed shots. But one of the things that I'm really, really big on is when I come home from a match, I account for every single missed shot in the match. And in, and at times, I still account for some of the shots that I made that I know in the back of my mind were questionable. And I think it's probably one of the keys to, to my process. I, I think that, that is really helpful in that I'm, I'm very honest. I'm very honest with why I missed a shot, right? Um, I think one of the things that holds some shooters back is, and some of it, they just you don't know what you don't know. But I think some shooters don't realize, or maybe it's easy to make an excuse for why they missed a shot, and yet they don't really understand, or they don't seek to understand why they really missed a shot. And and I'll give you a, a simple example, so, and I see this with a lot of newer shooters. With let's say that they're shooting a stage and they come off of it and they drop three or four shots. And they say, well, the wind was really switchy on me, and that's why I missed those shots. I missed off the left, I missed off the right, I missed off the left, missed off the right. Well, that condition does happen every once in a while, right? It does. It's rare. Very rare. It's rare. It's very rare. It, it's very rare. But I've seen it happen to really good shooters, so I know it does happen. It's happened to me. But, but I've seen it happen. To re- I've seen that happen to really good shooters and then think what you said, but it not be that. That's right. That's exactly right. And – I'm thinking I'm thinking of a situation from this past weekend in which I thought that the wind maybe picked up on me. Uh, but when I got off of the gun, I went back to my binos. I checked the wind again. It wasn't. And I think I was just simply canted and I wasn't checking to make sure that I was level. And I think that's where, you know, a newer shooter comes away from that situation. And they think to themselves to get better. I need to work on my wind calls because clearly i didn't i missed the wind call and the wind was switchy and that's why that's why i missed those shots but at the end of the day that's not really the reason they missed the reason they missed is because they weren't level they didn't level their gun on every single shot and they didn't break good shots they probably broke a bad shot to begin with and then corrected and made a good shot and the bullet went to the other side of the target and so i see that happen a lot i see it happen a lot it's happened to me i'm i'm not too proud to admit yeah i've I've been there we all have and that's why we've all been there. If you're me, that's uh, I mean, I figured that out. And when I figured that out, I mean, I, I mean, I'm. There was a time there where I like I well I know I harped on that like levels, to me is like the easiest way to uh, gain like if you don't have a level on your gun and you come out west maybe back east you can get away with it and and do real good with that one, but you can. I think that's an easy way to gain, especially in, in the Western United States. It's an easy way to gain. Uh, I mean, I would, I would venture to say up to 5% um, more. Yeah. 
more hits. Um, just right, right there. Just and and I mean, you can argue with me, but I I would I would persuade you to try to uh, prove me wrong because it might help you out. So, um, I guess to sum up, maybe what you were just saying is I you said uh, a statement in there that I've used a lot and still do is you don't know what you don't know. And I don't know that that's always the most accurate thing. And I think the thing is, is you don't know what you don't take the time to figure out. And, sure. And so I that's think after the it. fact, it, and that's what you do. That's and I think it's a it's a good that's a something to live by. Is if you if you uh, like you think that you know whatever if you if you take some time to go and look back, like I do that a lot, uh, where misses will stick in my mind. And I'll, and, and I do it, I, I've been better at it and I, I try to go home and like take notes. I don't do it like on every shot, but I, but I go through there and I'll try to figure it out. Like whether I missed high on one that bugged me, I'm going to go through. There's some that I will. So what I will do is I, I will do this. Basically I do it naturally as I'm going throughout the day. I will keep track of which ones are my fault and I'll keep track of ones that I know were wind and I'll keep track of ones that I think were uh, were something that I don't know that I want to figure out. Right. So if I miss one one side, miss one another side, uh, I want to figure out what I missed. Like what was there that I missed or what did I do wrong? Because I think immediately that I probably missed something. So I think those situations are caused by, this is just me going on a soapbox here, but I think usually in those cases... Um, it depends on what happened, but a lot of times you did one of two things. It was a can't issue and you corrected it and then you missed one wet way and combined with a wind thing. And then, and then you automatic. So like, so say you missed downwind, you might've been canted downwind plus it, plus you didn't get the wind call correct. And then right. you correct your can't plus you add the plus then you, you add the wind and now you go to the other side. Okay that that's a realistic scenario that happens a lot. Then there's the next scenario, which I think happens and, and a combination of, of all of this could happen. Plus all of it could happen at once is a lot of times people will say, Oh, I missed that by a half a mil. And they really maybe missed by, you know, they were a 10th off the edge or something of a four tenth plate. And they add a half a mil to their, to their call. And so, so they basically add, three tenths too much and then they miss the other side of the plate well so there that scenario can happen and yeah. and you didn't even realize it it's just a matter of just being lazy and not and not measuring um so there's a there's a lot of scenarios um that can happen where you do something but then say say there's one where you miss downwind or whatever and then you go and then you shoot and then you say you add some and you hit center and then you hit up upwind and then you hit upwind more and then you walk it right off the other edge of the plate and you're like oh the wind switched on me again well it's like no you just got it you saw it pick up and then it lull it went back down to what it was and instead of reading and seeing where every shot was and paying attention you just essentially let it walk itself back off the other side of the plate you know over the course of a minute and a half maybe so that's where I'm like, did I miss when I when I miss one one way, miss one another way? That's when I slow down. Well, not slow down, but in my mind, I I try to run through that whole rolodex and try to figure out what did I do wrong. 
because essentially most of the time I can find something that I did wrong to account for it. Exactly. A hundred percent. And that's, and that's, it says a really good example because in a scenario like that, let's say that you, you continue shooting a target over the, you know, the, the course of a stage, let's say it was 90 seconds and you continued shooting, shooting, shooting. What you didn't see was that you're close, you're, you know, you're moving closer and closer and closer to the edge of the plate. And then all of a sudden you drop it to your point. Now, you know, a, a newer shooter may come off of that and go, Oh, the wind switched on me and I didn't see it. Uh, you know, with a little bit of experience, we realized that, well, that's not actually the reason you missed the target. The reason you missed the target was because you weren't seeing where your impacts were landing and you weren't continuing to center up those shots. Right. So the, the skill that you need to work on is not your wind reading ability, spotting impact. And if you'll get better at spotting your impacts and keeping them in the center of the plate, then that stops happening. Right. I can't tell you how many matches I came away from and it's, it's not, it's not, it's spotting a miss oftentimes is easier than actually spotting an impact. And I say that because a lot of the targets that we have here in, at Navasota, and I know you've shot here a couple of times, they don't react. They're, uh, they're like poppers. They just, they just, they go backwards regardless of whether you hit them in the center or you hit them on the edge. And so it, it really trains you to pay attention to where you're hitting the, hitting the target on the plate to make sure that you don't possibly slip one off. And, uh, and so anyways, the, you know, being able to see that and be able to keep up with that is uh, it's a very important skill, right? And it's and that 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 in and of itself is probably one of the most important skills that you can learn, and that's to spot spot your impacts, see where your bullets are going, and uh, keep yourself in the center of the plate. Yep. That avoids a lot of problems. Um, you and I've talked about it. You you don't even really have to be that good at calling wind, so long as you can spot your impact or your miss on the very first shot. If you correct that back to center. If you miss what I think you and I talked about, it. if you miss every initial wind call on every single stage and you drop that first shot because you missed the wind call, but yet you see the you see exactly where it goes, you correct it perfectly back to center, you land all the remaining shots on that stage, you're still going to shoot what ninety percent of 90%, the course of fire essentially. Yep, it's ninety percent. You shoot ninety percent of the course of fire in any two day match. If you're not vying for the win, you're you're on the you're on the podium, hands yeah, down. And what well, are the what are the odds, right? But but a lot of them. But but a lot of them. But say but my thing is my argument is 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 that the chances that you're zero percent on that is slim. Okay, if you're just a decent oh, you're shooter, 50, 50. you you know how to yeah, you, 50, can, 50. You, you can you can get stable, do all that type of stuff. Most guys are going to at least be 50% on first round hits. Most guys, like you can call the win to that. Like I'm saying the majority yeah. of people that show up to matches, they're going to hit at least 50% of those first rounders in the entire match. Then right. you get to the elite level. Those are guys that are going to hit 95% of those. So, you know, out of the Correct. 20 first rounds, they're going to hit 18, 19, 20 of them. Okay. Yeah. And so, if you're just that mediocre guy, that means that's the difference of eight points in an entire match. Okay, that's that's it. So that's, it. Uh, that's all that being an elite win caller gets you. And obviously matches uh, what separates the majority of the field is not just eight points, right? You know, you're, right. you're, you're talking that that's going to separate the top, you know, probably six. And sometimes in other matches, that might be the difference between first and second. Exactly. But, you know, so that's, and it's a great example of where 
understanding, I guess, from a newer shooter or even a mid-pack shooter's perspective, understanding where they need to focus their time training and getting getting better in this game. Um, that's a really good example of, of where I think some guys and gals miss the boat, if yeah. you will. Yeah. Right? They spend a lot of time trying to work on their wind reading ability when at the end of the day, just like you just like you said, I mean, that's that's going to maybe account for eight shots yeah. across a 200 round course of fire. That's that's an extremely low percentage when you think about yeah, it's how many rounds it's four percent. So you think about how many rounds they'll actually gain by being better just spotting their impacts. It's it's going to be more than that. Double and that's where right? and that's where, you, yeah, you get a guy that shows up and he shoots a, a nine on his first uh, he shoots a nine versus the guy that show these are t- we're talking about the elite boys that show up and or or guys that are just real good shooters um but even even the guy that guy that shows up and sh- hits 20 you know uh 18 19 20 first rounders well that guy that hit, hit the that say he hit 18 or whatever he missed two first rounders just kind of uh you know didn't see something or whatever just like the wind was tricky and tough to read or whatever he goes up there misses one off the plate measures corrects gets a nine right yeah you know like that's a lot of what you're gonna see on that type of situation um versus another guy could go up there and he he misses and and then all of a sudden he misses again he's like wow i don't know if that was me my gun or if it was the position are you sure he he does what I call confirmation miss, so he does the same thing again, confirms that right. he definitely missed the target, <laughs> and so and puts it in the same hole. In it the puts dirt. it in the same hole, and it's like okay, <laughs> and then and then he's like, all right, I'm gonna add, I obviously need a tenth more. For some reason, that's gonna get you to the middle of a half a male plate. Only moving a tenth is gonna get you more. So then he gets a hit, but it's it just tags the edge. So he's like, Oh sweet. I'm on. And then he shoots again and then he misses again in the same old last one was. So he adds another 10th. So now it's like a 10th inside the edge. And then he sits there, lives on the edge, but then floats one off the edge again. So then he adds another 10th. He's like, Oh my gosh, the wind's picking up so much. So now he's added three tenths, and finally he's hitting somewhere near the middle of the plate and and finishes the stage by getting all the hits. The first guy goes up there, does the same thing, hits, measures, goes, I need to add three tenths, adds three tenths to the first shot, gets the next nine. Instead of a, yeah. that's the difference between a six and a nine, and both of them miss the first round. Right. That's exactly right. And, you know, and some of that can be as simple as, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into play there, but, you know, as you become more experienced and shooters become more experienced, they understand the value of, of really putting an emphasis on that first round and how important that first round is going to be. If you're going to, if you miss that target with the first round, uh, that's, that's, there's a lot of cost in that, right? Well, get everything out of it. If it, if you miss, may at least know exactly where that bullet went, measure and bring it perfectly back to the center of the target. Um, oftentimes it, and I see it a lot. I see it. I saw it this past weekend. Guys just can't miss fast enough. They miss that shot. They roll the ball. And I mean, that second round's in the air before the first one hit the dirt, you know? Um, and they're just not putting, they're, they're just not putting enough time and value in that first shot. The first shot tells you everything. You can always go slow on that first shot, see exactly what happens, get all the data that you need and then speed up as you move on at that point, but get everything you can out of that first round. That first round is like you said, I mean, even if you're, 
even if you're only 90%, you're going to miss the first route every single time. At least get all the data from it that you can. Yep. Before you move on, before you break another shot. Um, yes. And then if, and it, of course, it, yeah, there's there's a lot of different ways to go. If you don't know where it went, then come up with a game plan. There's, you know, yeah, that, line, then but, that gets into to, to strategy, uh, and, stuff strategy like and stuff like that. But which I've talked about before on here, and I'm yeah. sure I will yeah. in the future. It just that just adds opens a whole new can of worms. But so yes. the thing that I was searching for that I finally found that I was in here mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. seems almost relevant, but uh, because like uh, this is one thing that uh, I've thought about a bunch. I get this question a lot, and I'm sure you get it too. Is mm-hmm. how do you win matches? Like how do you win the matches? And I'm, but it doesn't have to be win. But how do you get in the top five? How do you? Because a lot of people are always focusing on. I don't mean that in, in the way that you okay. obviously laughed it's about okay. it. Cause... You get, well, you can ask, you know, how do you finish second place so many times? That's yeah, how do you, you do that? How do you do that? How do you finish second but, place so many times? But... <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's okay. It's okay. I was sharing a statistic this weekend. Uh, I don't know how, and not many people would know this. If you, if you take all my second place finishes in national level matches, I have almost double the number of second place finishes as I do thirds, fourths, and fifths combined. So how how many of those though? If I was if I didn't exist, would you have one? Oh, that's not even talking about. It. I mean, that's just bragging at that point, Morgan. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just after, I, crap. after I won my after I won my first match and then went to the finale and tied for fourth, my very next match in 2021, you came down to Texas and of course I finished second to you by a few shots. So yeah, yeah, I would have a handful. No, I, I know, I just giving you crap because I know you are. I know you are. It's all fun. I mean, I don't know if anybody shot against uh, Chris. You, you, you know that you don't. It's not uh, a day off when Chris shows up to a match for sure. No. Uh, but no, but anyways, the it's a legitimate question that I get a lot, and I think it doesn't. It doesn't mean like winning. Uh, it doesn't really have to be like, how do you win? I, uh, it's really just, how do you do good at any match? I, I've thought about this quite a bit and I thought about it the other day. And, uh, the thing, one of the things I realized, um, it took me a while to figure out and it's just like it is in any other sport is you have to stop, like you have to stop trying to win. And that's a weird counterintuitive statement almost sounds too cerebral but it's really not about trying to win it's about realizing that it's about hitting targets that the guy that hits the most targets wins so taking every little advantage that you can and then turn like and trying to do that to where you hit the most targets because that guy wins that's who wins so uh, like when I show up to a match and people are like, why are you running a tack table or whatever on this stage? You can just run one bag. I'm like, yeah, but I could run tack table and be modified prone because I like guaranteed hits. Right. You know, and I'm not saying that I'm not good at one bag. I feel like I can rival anybody with one bag, but that, that adds some wobble that doesn't have to be there if I can run a tack table. So I run a tack table. You know, I like, I've said this a you, lot. Yeah, but you running a tack table again on a stage is still you still beat yourself running one bag versus you running a tack table 
on the same stage. You're better every single time you competing against yourself. Even if it's just you, you're better with the tag table. A hundred percent. hundred percent of the time. So to your point, why not? And you said that to me at Nutcrusher. We, you know, we were squatted together and we were talking about a stage and, you know, I was concerned about trying to run a tag table and maybe, maybe complicating things enough that if, you know, set up on the tag table wasn't right. Are we bringing in risk to the stage and, you know, why, why bring in the risk? And you brought up a good point. We're not going after just eight points. We're, we're going to go after all 10. We're going to clean the stage and we're going to get it right. And we're going to, and we're going to get it. That and was so, our first stage, right? Uh, I don't think that's when it came up, but that's when you, I mean, that you made a point. You were very, you were hundred percent valid at that point. You know, if I wouldn't have cleaned that stage too, I wouldn't have gotten near. Like if I had missed one at any point on that tech table, <laughs> I would have been screwed because I barely had enough time. Yeah, I, I don't think we realized that was a ninety-second stage, but but your point was very valid though. No, it, it was why two go, minutes. Was it? I thought I thought that's why we almost timed out. Maybe because I even went I, thought it was I thought it, I thought it was t- I thought it was supposed they, they were supposed to be two minutes. So if he ran it ninety seconds, then that's why it felt I think so he tight. ran it. He ran it ninety. There's no way because you remember you went one shot for four positions, and on the fifth you started wrapping shots off, and you barely got done. So there's no there's no way that you took a minute to get all the way around to the fifth position, and then took another minute to shoot those five shots. I th- it was ninety seconds. Had to be. It absolutely had to be. Yeah. If it you just... if and if at any point you missed, well, sorry, no. If you missed the first shot in that position, right? That's when yes. you had to go back. But if you missed at any other point in there, you were fine. You could still keep going. Yes. But your point, and it was, and it was definitely smart to run a tag table in that situation because your ability to see exactly where you were maybe missing that small target because that, you know, that KYL rack was not sitting right on the berm. It was sitting off of the berm. So yeah, and it was and the only, was, the small target was not two tenths wide. It was not, it was tiny. It was very small. This is a, like a 450 yard shot. And to explain the, so you know what we're talking about, not just confused as uh, it was a PRS barricade uh, essentially. And you had to shoot, one from the kneeling, then stand, and then go to the other side of the barricade and do the standing, and then the kneeling, and then you had to shoot from the middle position, which is a position that was a bar welded between the two uprights between kneeling and standing on both sides of the barricade. So there's this bar across the middle of the barricade, and you yeah. and you had to shoot the little target. So there was five targets, so you had to shoot the first four from the other positions, and then you well, and it really didn't matter. You just had to use the five positions, but your last position you had to shoot uh, the small target out of essentially. Um, and you and if you missed at any point, you had to go back to the first position, start on the big target, and go back through it again, and move every yeah. shot until you got to the last one. And when you got to the last one, you could stay there and continue your rounds. If you missed on your first shot, I it might have been at any point. If you missed, you had to go back to the big target. I think that might have been it. But I can't remember. You had to go backwards a target. You had to go backwards. Is it just one target? Missed... Well, I don't know. That's actually I have to go back and read it. I the thought way you had that, to go back the way the that beginning. Paul designed that stage was very. Uh, it was. Um, no, that that one you went back to the beginning because it was. It, did, it wasn't dis. It wasn't because I remember thinking if I just went there and then sh- uh, shot at the little one, and if I missed, 
it's fine because I'm going to get the rest of those points. Right. Right. But, no, but, you're right. But anyways, it was, it was, it was tough. Like I, I remember thinking, well, you could dump that first one and then get an automatic, uh, eight or nine. Um, but, That's, but yeah. I was like me, I, I was like, I can't do that. I can't, I, I, I just don't have the, it's not within me not to just get it clean. So, cause you, cause in the other way, you're going to have shots at bigger targets the entire time. But the, if you were going to clean it, you were going to shoot six shots at a 10th and a half target. <laughs> that's right. That, yeah. And I cleaned right. it, it, but it was not yes. easy. No, it wasn't easy. Even I missed a shot. You're I think right. I it was, long. you had to miss your first shot in that, in that position. And then you would have to start over again. And it's not, and then to. you would start over. You, you, yeah. you did start over again and it wasn't a disadvantage at that point because you knew, okay, I can hurry and get all these shots off. But if, Correct. You, but if it was like but then the you get fourth a nine. one, yeah, then you get a nine. But if it was the fourth shot, though, now you're screwed. If you had, um, or sorry, if you was a fourth shot in that position, and then if you had to start over, which you didn't, fortunately, but if you would have, then you'd been screwed because then you have to break that whole position and then go haul in because you were probably taking your time on the little target. So that's right. why I'm pretty sure he did it the way he did it. Yeah, it was, it was a, yeah, there was a, a very tricky. I always say it's tricky. It was just, it was very, very well thought out how yes. Paul set that stage up. And we keep referring it, to Paul's match, but this was the nut crusher in Utah. That's right. Oh. That's right. Um, yeah, it was it, a lot of guys initially as we sat and started, you know, as we walked through it with the RO, the course of fire. And what happens if you miss? What happens if you hit? Because it was an if then situation. We did start to think, you know, because if, if you hit your first shot in the fifth position, on the small target, then you had to stay on that target. Yep. And that was a sto. The target was to your point. It was you know tenth and a half wide. It was so small. I remember so I, far I the offered berm. the suggestion. Hey, we should just miss that the first time and then go back through. And then the, you only yeah, have to shoot just, at it once at the last shot. Because now you're risking almost a. It's it's like a guaranteed nine, or, or a guaranteed a potential, eight. I would a say a potential six. Well, yeah, we'll say a guaranteed eight, but or, or a potential, potential four. Five. I'm sorry. It would be a five in that instance. Oh yeah, five. If yeah, you five. went all the way around, yeah. If you went all the way around, hit that target, and then and then miss the next four because to your it was a very awkward height. It was in between standing and kneeling, and it was at this. It was at a super tiny target off the berm. That if you missed, it might be hard to tell which side you missed on. Yep. You could easily dump four shots in the dirt and have no idea wh what your correction is. On yeah, that. you could. So, you could go. You could dang sure miss three or four of those easy yeah now to your to credit to your credit running a tack table in that situation was that alleviated some of that risk because now Definitely. if you can run a tack table then you can absolutely you have a better beat you could you could i mean at worst case scenario you could watch the trace into that target and see that you're missing it off of one side or the other i want right? everybody to know i do not uh i don't i don't i i don't watch trace <laughs> and uh, I don't, I, I don't support that uh, message. <laughs> <laughs> well, I should clarify. I'm sorry. Well, it, you and I've talked about it. I, I watch Trace at the target only. I do not watch it. I do not miss. I do not watch it mid flight. Yeah. I don't even see it. I don't, even I don't want to be the guy. I don't want to be the guy because I know there's a lot of guys out there, or and 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 guys that have really pushed Trace a lot. I'm not that guy. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to try to lead people on and make them think I can 
I can see Trace better than I can, and I, I, I just I just wanted to throw that out there because I think people, when they say, especially good shooters, they say, I watch Trace, and they mean something different. They mean what I mean, and I, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I bore a hole in the target, and I'm looking for where the bullet goes so I can see where the bullet goes. And if I catch Trace, then great. I don't watch Trace. I'm not looking for Trace and catching where the bullet goes, if that makes sense. And I yes. think you meant the same thing. You're like, maybe I'll catch it or something like that because you're more stable and you can. And I and I do think there's a there's a time and a place, and I'm not good at it, so I don't do it. But I do think there's a time and a place where guy shooting a dasher or something like that goes up there, and he might he might watch for it um, more on some sure. stage or something like that. So. I just had to do yeah, that I mean, crap and, and, and to also It's okay. It's I haven't Fair done enough. a podcast in so long uh that that I have to make sure you know, like I, I don't know. I just that trace thing sometimes it gets me because I think people mean one thing and say another. Uh yeah, I mean fair enough. I you've talked about it, you've had it on your podcast. I've I've seen you know, Phil runs his his podcast, he asks shooters about trace and, and everybody's a little bit different. Um, and whether they see it or where they watch it and, and this, that, and the other. Um, and so I'm, I'm not, I guess I'm, I'm probably in the middle, I guess, as far as. I think uh, you watch it more than I do. Oh, I Or you see it I, maybe more than I do. I, Cause I, I just see don't it, see but, it. I, I, I really, well, I mean, I see it sometimes. Like, I'm not going to lie and say I don't see it. I do. Yeah. But I don't see well, where it do near you, as frequently. But where as do you other. see it though? Let me ask you that. Where I don't do you know, see I'm it, looking though? at the target. I don't. It to me, it's okay. irrelevant, right? What? What? Why do I need to see that? If if I'm well, throwing a hole in the target and I see where the bullet goes, it means zero to me. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. But so I think that. And if I, I see it where ninety percent of the bullets go, then what? Ninety to ninety-five percent of the bullet, where the bullets land exactly, then I do not give a flying f about where the trace is. That I can maybe uh, see, yeah. may, that I can maybe, if I was trying, could maybe see 20, 30% of the time, maybe. And then how often does that coincide with those 5% that I don't see normally? Uh, you know, now we're getting into really small numbers I don't really care about. Because 5% sure, is 10 right. rounds over the course of two, uh, 200. And most of the time, if I don't see that round and I send the next one, I'm going to see the next one. And it's going to hit the plate too most of the time. You certainly if you that gain makes more sense. by watching. It does. It does from you know from the the numbers that you're throwing out. It makes more sense for you to pay attention to what the plate's doing than it is for you to take your eyes off the plate and actually look for the trace. And so this is just yes. me. This is just me trying to use math to argue for my point, I guess. Because even no, if, even if it's, it's valid, even if it's eight, say even if I can only see where exactly eighty percent go. It's a way better number for me to look at than thirty. You know what I'm saying? Because how? Because in my mind, and this is just this is just me trying to trying to. And I I guess me and you are having a conversation, but I'm not essentially talking to you because I know you you I know your position and I know you you largely agree with me. Um, but I know there's a group of people out there that have been told that it that they everybody that's that's anybody they see trace and so if i'm going to be a good shooter i have to be able to see trace and i just don't know 
how many guys actually see it the way that it's see the trace like um, some people would portray it. I don't know how to explain that. And it's not like I don't know that somebody's trying to mislead anybody, but yet I I think the perception versus the reality might be different, if that makes sense. Oh, I agree. I, I completely agree. I think that and I think you, you bring up a really good point. What it means for me to see Trace versus what it means for you to see Trace and what other people are talking about when, with regards to seeing Trace, it's all uh, – it, it could all be different things. I, look, I, I run I run my scope at, at max power. I run at 25 power. So I've got a pretty narrow field of view. And so when I see Trace, I see Trace at the target. Yep. I see it, I see it drop in very quickly, and, you've, and your eyes have to be quick, but I see it drop in right at the target. Now, that's that's the only trace that's relevant to me. I don't I don't care where it is mid-flight. I don't care where it is, you know, as it's way above the target and dropping in. I really only care about where it is when it drops in at the target. Now, I agree. What that allows me to do though is I can I can zero in on the target. I'm watching it and then out of my peripheral it drops in and I get a I get a line. I get a little line of from the or little vapor trail or whatever it is, I get a little line that shows me approximately where that bullet just dropped in. Now, I don't ignore what the plate does, but at times seeing that little line drop into the target helps me to know that, you know, maybe I'm a half a tenth right or a half a tenth left of center or or maybe I just missed it entirely, but I just saw it burn the right edge. Do you know I don't how fast need to correct. the brain sees? Do you know, you know how fast it is? No, as as far as like frames per second. Yep. Mm-mm. It was like thirty frames per second, isn't it? Twenty. Twenty. Not real fast, there. Eh? Okay. No, it's not. It's not, and that's the so. Thing too, so now, that... what you got to think is how much of what you see is reconstructed. Uh, yeah, and that's very possible. Again, the trace. I mean, you know. So, so here's my seeing argument. trace is so so benefit. And so, I'm not. Yes, well, I was yeah. gonna say trace is so dependent upon the conditions, right? Yes, if you're there you go. if you're Sickle. shooting in a heavy, heavy, you know, lot of humidity, you need a lot of moisture in the air. If you see a lot of moisture in the air, you see a lot of trace. But if it's a lot of wind, then where you actually saw that trace there to you your go. point with what your brain recognizes could be a tenth or so off track of where or the more. bullet actually went, or, or more. more. There's you, times where I've watched it watched in spotting scope. Uh, in high winds and it looked like it's going to miss downwind and it hits dead center. That's right. Because of the way that it bends. hundred percent right. I, because it washes it out. And this is what people don't realize is when you're looking at trace, you have to think it's like the wake of a boat. Okay. First of all, That's right. it needs to get big enough to see, to see it. Number two, right. how far behind is it? Because it's not where the boat is. It's where it's where it was. It's so the bullet is a bullet wake. I I, I trace is uh it's uh, almost uh trace the word trace almost uh implies that we're seeing the bullet, right? Like a tracer or something that you're seeing yes. seeing a, a round that that is, you know, got some sort of whatever. I can't remember what they have in tracers is what is it like I don't know. But they luminesce or whatever. So you can see them at night. Well, we, that's not we're not looking at bullets we're looking at where the bullet was it's the bullet wake you know as it as it moves through the air 
and it's right. displacing the moisture in the air. Well, that all it's doing is that's where the bullet was. Well, okay, so how far behind it is it? I don't know, but all I know is it is behind it. And a lot of times you'll see like the line you're talking about. So, and this is what I see, and I know just I just know that it is it is a uh, reconstruct. My brain is reconstructing that image from a bunch of pieces of information that it that it gathered, right? Um, like I mean, I'm not saying that I do, I'm not seeing. Obviously, we're seeing. Like I'm not I'm not gonna like discredit that, but I do know that when I'm sitting here boring a hole in this target, and then all of a sudden I catch something move out of like the peripheral vision, right? I'm like looking at this little tiny thing in the middle of this deal, and I see this little just kind of like a flash of movement above the target which which i then it's like almost like believing in ghosts because it's just not it's like you see something out of the corner of your eye you're like right what is that and then you like look at it right uh that's kind of like the way i think of uh trace is it's just that little thing that moves and then you know and essentially i'm not looking at it so i can't exactly tell you if it's this many tenths from the center, but I know it might, it's on this side of the plate or that side of the plate, you know, type thing. If that makes sense. In my mind, that's what, that's more of how I see trace when I see it. Um, then there's times where like I'll be prone and I see it on the way up and I can just see it move away from my crosshair a bunch or I'll see it. If I'm, if I'm blowing it, if I'm shooting in some wind and all of a sudden I see a line streak up my crosshair, then I'm like, shit, I just missed that thing. I can run the bolt because I know it's going downwind, you know? Yeah. But I don't ever, but for me, I don't ever look at it as it's going up. I, it's not that I, I look at it. I just see something streak through my skull. You scope. see it. No, I know. And I've, I've done it too. And every time I do it, I catch myself and I think, I think to myself, um, you know, stop looking at that and get back on the target. Well, I'm, that's really what yeah. matters. Well, that's what I'm and, looking at is the target. It's just like I'm sitting here looking at it, yeah. but you can't help see, but see this. Because honestly, this is the other thing. It's really freaking hard to see Trace at the target. Oh, it is. and it, 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 But that's the only place I look for it. I don't. I get and it. Again, but it's super but hard to see it there. See, it's easy to oh, see it, it at is. the apex because – it's easier to see at the apex because that's where a lot of it is. It spends a lot of time in that plane, right? Because it goes up yes. there and it comes back down. So it spends a lot of time up here. Well, yeah. that's a long ways from the target in some cases. And then oh, agreed, agreed. on yeah. the way up, it's easier to see because it's right in front of you. And so, right. yeah. but then it's when it gets out you, there, the farther closer, it gets away, right? it's freaking hard to see. That's why, and then and then the colors change. So if you're looking at it in the sky, and then think you're gonna follow it as soon as it cuts back into the green, good freaking luck. That's why most people lose it, you know. That's, so that's if right. you're looking no. at it here at the target, and then catch something move through the green, now you got something you might be able to use. Yeah, I would say that I would, and, and so that's a really good point as well. And I and I should quantify that as well. Like so, when I'm seeing, I'm sorry for if I'm seeing trace. No, it's all right. I mean, it's it. Again, like we were talking about earlier about people focusing on the wrong skills um, to get better at this game. I, it seems trace is value. It's a, it's a tool, right? It, it's a tool. Oh, am I losing you? I might have lost him. But anyways, <laughs> I got us on a, on a little bit of a tangent. I'll see. We'll see if he uh, um, comes back. So the, oh, there the, he is. Oh, did you lose me for a second? Yeah, we lost you for just a second. Um, well, what I was saying is it's 
you know, seeing traces, it's a tool. That's what it is. Oh, you know, speaking of cameo, you know, I think, what is it? Is it like stage six or stage seven historically with the Koenig match that they make you shoot that target that's sitting right on top of a ridge? And if you miss it, there is no feedback. The bullet goes over the ridge and it disappears. You don't get any feedback whatsoever. So having the ability to see trace at the target or where it possibly misses the target in that instance could save you from, you know, dropping a, uh, being able to see the trace on every single bullet that goes down range. Uh, no, that's, that's not necessary. Do you want me to now, make from my what I to the last one? <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, it's well, and I was going to say to your point earlier, you you also said, you know, seeing trace at the target at longer distances is a hundred percent accurate. I don't see trace at the target at, you know, 900 yards plus i just i don't maybe inside I see of trace 600 the, i think it's i can see it at 800 i it's good, real good, freaking hard though it's real hard but you know i'm running maximum i'm running my scope at point five power all the time and that helps me uh if i back off my magnification that's one of the things that i lose but but again if you know i mean if i'm shooting prone maybe i maybe i see it i i'm with you i don't I mean, we're agreeing here. Um, I see it. Uh, I see it inadvertently just because I think once you train your eye to pick up the movement, you can't really unsee it if the conditions are right. Um, and it's it's nice to see every once in a while. It gives you some confirmation. Um, I agree. But I, I do need to train it. my eye better to see it. I need to spend some time like doing it. I just like the, the time is a commodity I do not have a lot of uh, um, right yeah. now. But eventually I will. I just like to I like to at least give some people some hope that are like thinking uh, that are you know regular old dudes that go out and they shoot they shoot quite a bit and they're like holy smokes like I've got like so far to go and they really don't it's not that big a deal right and it's and and in the end it's not worth very many points because like because like you talk about shooting skyline targets I can make arguments of how to I can and I can explain exactly how to do it to where to where that's not a actual issue. Like you're not like, as long as you know what to do, like uh, you're probably going to get a second round impact on that, regardless of whether or not you saw where it went. Agreed. hundred percent. You just have to, there's just have to move. You just have to like, if you're me and you, and you know, like you run the wind and it's 15, you're shooting 25 miles an hour at 500 yards. You know, I mean, I don't know where shooting Usually most of us are shooting, you know, seven mile an hour guns. So that's like 500 yards. That's going to be 1.5, 1.7 ish mils. Okay. Of wind. Uh, so say 1.7 mils and you're shooting a half mil plate. Uh, now we're talking at 25 mile an hour wind. It's, it, it, there could be a benefit, but then that's a lot of wind. Good luck seeing trace. So if we back it down, let's back it down to yeah. a realistic number, like 15 miles an hour. Uh, that's like, so that's going to be a mil at 500 yards and you're shooting right. a half mil, six tenths, six tenths place for, for easy math. You, you go up there, put, you decide, I think it's 12 miles an hour or something. Well, no, just go with that. And you miss, say you miss it by five miles an hour or say seven miles an hour. Say it's actually, um, or say, say you thought it was 14 you th- and we got a seven mile an hour gun, so add another half a mil. Um, so you th- it's actually twenty one miles an hour or something. I mean, this—that's how much it takes to miss that thing. Uh, 
I mean, that's right. I mean, it's a half a mil per seven miles an seven miles an hour. So if you say you missed it by a half half a mil, uh, then you know you're going to be two tenths off an edge in this case, or no, you're going to be a tenth off the edge. No, two tenths off the edge. So you're two tenths off the downwind edge, and you and, but you don't know that because it's skylined. But all you do is just sit there and take a, a just a second to just be like fill and look at the mirage. Like, okay, I didn't miss something. Like, it didn't die to nothing, obviously. It picked up. It feels like it picked up. So then all I do is I go, okay, my reticle's at one mil. So I look at the downwind edge, and that my 1.3 mark is on the edge. So I take that 1.3, slide it inside of the other, other edge, just barely. So I move 90% of the plate. That's the fast way of moving, essentially, five-tenths on that plate. Um because and that's the e, for me that's the easiest way to just like put the same mark back in the middle i slide that over to slide that mark to the inside of the other edge pull the trigger and then i just look for where it lands in this case it's going to land a tenth left to center and then you're going to run the rest of the stage right. and you didn't even have to see where a bullet went right well cuz you're 100% right you cannot count you can't count. There's no absolutes in the game. You can't. You can't always count on seeing where the bullet's going to go, or, they, go. or always see where Trace is going to go. I mean, it, at 15, 15 miles an hour, you're not seeing. You're not really seeing Trace. I mean, you could maybe see Trace. At, yeah. You know. I and I uh, guess that's my only point is 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 maybe learn how to see it, but realize that that's not a that's a that's something that's going to help you thirty percent of the time. And yes. And. And that is that thirty percent of the time going to show up when you absolutely need it, which is not all the time, right? That's and that's a yes, hundred percent. That's a great point. Two thirds of the time that you need it, it won't be there. That's right, and that's what I was saying a minute ago about you know seeing trace. It, it's just a tool, right? It's a tool, and it, it has it can help you at times. Uh, it's not something you're going to depend on all the time. Um, yeah, I'm not a big I'm not a big free recoil person, or and I don't run a tripod a whole lot. But those two things are, like I said a minute ago, those are tools. Yep, I need to know tools. how to do them, right? They're tools, and I need to know how to do it. I did shot at line and realized that I just couldn't seem to stabilize. I couldn't get my reticle to to stabilize, and so I backed off the gun until it stopped moving and and shot at free recoil. And I mean, I cleaned the stage because I know how to do it, but that's not how I want to run. My style does not doesn't fit that. I don't run, you know, I don't run for yeah stage it's not my preferred way of doing it. i'm not saying there's anything wrong with it i will do it but there's uh but it's not my preferred way and it's um it's a tool yeah I it's agree. a tool to use at times when when it's appropriate yeah, i agree to trace it trace it the same way so i but, I, uh, I agree and i so anyways yeah kind of to finish up i guess uh because I know we've been yeah. we've been going at this a while, but I I think it's been good. But I I guess what I, what I'd say is I just I I'm just not as big a fan of things that that work sometimes and not all the time. And that's why I'm more of like a and I I guess maybe it's just because of the way my brain works. I'm like man, if I can come up with a strategy that's gonna basically serve me in this situation. And, and that I don't even have to think about, like, right? Like, I mean, I can think about it, but, like, that's a, almost a mindless process where I, I just go, oh, I missed downwind because things change. 
I can just immediately put my mark back on there. I don't have to think. I just I just look at the the 